So my name is Pete Wilson and I work for United Utilities. I mean, I'm from Cumbria originally. After I left school, went, went, went and worked on a farm down in, down in Oxfordshire before I went to, to, to college, agricultural college, a place called Harper Adams. I saw this slowly work my way back. I was working in Chester on a dairy farm. I, I kind of had my arm twisted by my now wife, <laughs> who persuaded to, she was living with me, but working out of Preston. Um, and she'd had enough of the commute, so she was persuading me to, to leave my job there and, and move up, up to Lancashire. I, I, went, I went to work for a feed company, which didn't suit me at all, um, and ultimately got, got made redundant from that, which was a, in many ways a, was a bit of a blessing for me. Uh, married at that time, we didn't have any kids and no big mortgage, it was, it was quite good. I ended up uh, volunteering for, for RSPB, always been interested in birds. You know, it was a positive thing to do whilst looking for a full-time job but working part-time. That led ultimately, I suppose relatively quickly, to a, to a full-time job working here for the RSPB in the Forest of Bowland. The RSPB have had a, a long-standing partnership with RSPB, monitoring birds of prey, going back to the very early 80s, 81, 80-81 uh, sort of thing. And, and I, I worked on this estate in the Forest, UU estate in the Forest of Bowland for just over 10 years, 10 and a half years, something like that. Always based in the, the UU estate office. And then uh, a UU colleague, yeah, basically retired. Um, there was a, a vacancy there, so I applied for it. I'd like, <laughs> been sat there sort of liking what I've seen in terms of a job and uh, was ready for a bit of a change and took it and was um, obviously successful. I've uh, been working for UU now for about nine, 10 years, something like that. Um, working on the estate for RSPB and UU for getting on for 20 years now, something like that. My role is I'm a, I'm a catchment partnership officer, which is a um, quite ranging, wide ranging kind of kind of role and the title doesn't really cover it much. I think you could probably broadly split it up into sort of two broad areas. So there's the raw water quality. So looking at um, improving raw water quality. We own this land for, for drinking water purposes. Um, so if we can uh, we can improve that, the, the raw water quality before it hits our treatment works, all, all the better for us. And the second part of it is biodiversity as well so I, I do a lot of work we're, we're sat in the middle of a, a triple SI here site of special scientific interest national designation for its biodiversity but the great thing about those two areas is, is that there's a, a great deal of synergy between the two of them you know if we can enhance the environment that we're sat in uh, the catchment land in terms of biodiversity it also has knock-on benefits for for raw water quality and in particular in this area, uh, the, the colour of the water. So if we've got, you know, sometimes you might have to see after heavy rainfall in the uplands, you can see the water looks very tea-like in terms of colour. That colour, hazen, we call it, 
it can it can get really bad, almost like stewed tea, um, in terms of colour. And obviously we've got to we've got to remove that colour from the the water, uh, which costs us. And if we can do it in a more natural way by improving, enhancing the the catchment land, which is predominantly deep peat areas up here, by restoring them as much as possible, retaining the water in there, filtering it and keeping it as wet uh, as long as possible, um, then that's great for, for water colour and water quality. So United Utilities owns an awful lot of land across the, the northwest, about 57,000 hectares of it. Primarily it's drinking water catchment. Um, and we're actually sat more specifically in the, on our land in the forest of Bowland, where uh, we've got about 10,000 hectares of catchment land, which supplies water to, well, a, a number of areas, but on the eastern end of the state, we've got Stocks Reservoir, which is the biggest water body in, in Lancashire. Uh, and water treatment works there, which su supplies a big part of central Lancashire. In the middle of the estate, where we're sat at the minute, uh, the water goes to, to the Blackburn area. And on the western end of the estate, we have uh, an area of land that supplies water um, to a range of it, potentially a range of sites from sort of southern Lancashire um, and also central Lancashire as well. The weather's not too great at the minute, so <laughs> I'm sat in, sat in the Land Rover looking at the, an area of moorland that we own near Dunsop Bridge. And if you go back um, roughly sort of 15 years ago, we as a company started a, a project called the Sustainable Catchment Management um, Programme. And that had multiple objectives. Uh, it was quite innovative. Uh, you know, a thing of its of its time, really. Um, something that's, that sort of predates things like ecosystem services and, and natural capital. Um, though obviously those those kind of principles have, have always, always been there, but um, yeah, they weren't they weren't in common parlance at, at that time. So the main things that we were trying to do then was actually the the first thing we were, were trying to do is actually enhance the biodiversity and that. The, the status of this site of special scientific interest um, to get it into a favourable condition. Um, the second thing was uh, looking at sort of wider biodiversity. So not all this estate is uh, designated. So it was, it was trying to enhance biodiversity on those, those areas as well. And finally, it was also about improving water quality um, coming from these, these catchment areas. So that, that programme ran from 2005 and 2010 where uh, we, our customers um, and partners such as Natural England and Forestry Commission invested um, quite a lot of money in terms of a, ra a range of projects. Looking at the, the areas of Deep Peak, the blanket bog up here, um, we did about, I think it was about 30, 35 kilometres of what are known as grips, though, which are... Uh, basically artificial drains that were dug during the sort of uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, um, and perhaps even into the 80s in, in some locations, mainly looking to, to, to try and drain uh, the areas of, of blanket bog 
increase the productive capacity of that, that land in terms of growing vegetation. Um, obviously these days that's um, not seen as, as actually all that great for these sort of habitats which require them to be, to be very wet. We reverse that by blocking, we put a, a dam in roughly every seven metres on that 35 kilometres of, of grips to, to hold the water back and to let it percolate and re-wet the peat. At the same time, we, we also did things like where, where, we've, where we've had particularly bad damaging and um, for various reasons, some of that damage goes back many, many decades, maybe even 100 years in some cases, where the vegetation on those, are, those areas has, has been removed for, for what, from whatever reason. Uh, and you've got extensive areas of bare peat and we've again worked with partners including our our tenants uh, on these areas of land to, to actually try and revegetate them which has gone really well i mean you know it had been used prior to that as a as a method in places like the peat district but it was quite new to me at that time and i was you know a little bit skeptical but actually after two or three years it was um it was, it was amazing, really, to, to see the vegetation uh, coming back onto those areas which, uh, where peat was just wash, washing off. Because that's the big problem, is, is that you've got, you've got areas of, extensive areas of bare peat. You know, most, most people will be aware that peat is very good for, for growing things in. <laughs> um, it's, it's great for, for germinating things in. And things, yeah, things do grow in it. But the problem is, is that the combination of the very heavy rainfall washes the peat away. So you might have a seedling that's that's established in that area of bare peat. Along comes a summer thunderstorm or, or persistent heavy rain during the winter and it just, just washes that peat away and undermines that seedling, exposes the roots. And then you get the, the, the freeze-thaw effect um, during the winter of, of further loosening it and coupled finally with the, the, the killer, if you like, in terms of the, the wind, eventually that um, seedling gets so undermined that it's flopping around there in the wind and it blows away and it, it's a perpetual cycle but um, the methods we we use or have been developed actually get over that and speed up the process so that you get a, a much more extensive recovery of the vegetation um, it's a lot more vigorous and uh, yeah you get sort of 90 100% uh, plant coverage of those those bare areas within sort of two or three years which is great, keeps all that peat in, in one place. I've talked about some, I don't know, drastic interventions, positive interventions, but quite <laughs> involved. One of, one of the other things is, is that, I mean, all, all these um, areas are, are farmed. We, we, we rent them out to, to farm tenants. Um, and obviously they, they play a key role in that and we work very closely with them over the last sort of 15, 20 years. Also with Natural England and using agri-environment schemes to, to not, not across the board, but um, where necessary, livestock numbers have been reduced by as much as 50%. And all that's having a, a really positive impact in terms of the, the vegetation as well. So, I mean, there's the obvious impact of, of grazing. Um, and you can get localised, or in the past you get lo localised areas of overgrazing. Um, but now that's, in my experience, pretty much unheard of now. The other effect is, and again, this is you know, pretty localised, is, is just the action of sheep moving through an area, walking through an area, 
can, can be damaging to things like sphagnum, which is one of the sort of keystone species in, in the deep peat areas. So yeah, sheep walking backwards and forwards, grazing across those areas, whilst they might not actually eat that much sphagnum, it, the, the walking backwards and forwards can have a, a negative impact on it. Um, and where we are at the minute, I actually kind of surprised myself. I hadn't been up on this this area for, oh, I don't know, a year, 18 months, and sometimes, you know, your, your memory can <laughs> play tricks on you and you think it's a certain way. And I, I came back and walk, walked across it and I was, I was yeah, yeah, very pleasantly surprised by the amount of sphagnum that we've we've got growing in in areas. Um, still, things we can do in, in terms of um, enhancing the environment. We've, we've still got some areas of eroding peat hags to the right of me on the, the other side of the valley. We we have areas of uh, where the peats become exposed on the edges, the peat hags. So on this this particular area, we a couple of years ago now. We got some funding from Natural England and uh, we put some money in from UU as well. And I managed the project and got contractors in and did some what we call drip edge reprofiling. So what you find is you'll, you'll have a, a steep bank of eroding peat, might be two metres high up to, something like that. But you'll get a quite dense area of vegetation overhanging where so the, sort of peat's eroding away underneath it. Uh, and basically we're looking to regrade that edge of that peat to, to a more shallow angle and bring the existing vegetation and, and cover that area. I remember seeing it um, for the first time about 10 years ago and that bit of work, to be totally honest, was quite disappointing. It took it took three or four years to actually become established and even then, you know, I was, I was a bit dubious there were still areas of bare peat, so I was a little bit sceptical, cautious about using it again, but you know, sort of nothing ventured, nothing gained, but the contractors we we got in, um, who were the same ones who did it 10 years ago, they've improved their technique so much that, you know, you come out and look at an area that they've just done and you can you can barely tell they've been there. Uh, even some people are familiar with these sort of areas to go out there and you can almost have it at your feet and not necessarily realise that what they've done. So you've gone from an area of eroding peat to what looks like vegetated peatland again, which is, which is absolutely brilliant. A lot of this stuff, we just, you know, you just can't do on, on our own. Our farm tenants in that, that case were really, really supportive. They were they were keen to see see that happen. I think they were pleasantly surprised by the success of um, that drip edge reprofiling. Yeah, it's looking really good, really, really good. Coming down the hill, if you like, off the off the blanket bog areas, something that it, it had a had a dual purpose for ultimately for, for United Utilities. It's what we were doing was fencing off the main watercourses, basically putting a, a fence up either side of the river. That fence might be anything from 50 metres to, to 200 metres away from the river, depending on the the, the site specifics and the, the terrain. That enabled us to keep livestock away from the the, the drinking water source, uh, the raw water, so further enhancing the water quality, but it also provided massive opportunity to, to actually create um, habitat that's probably a bit lacking in the, in the uplands, planting trees, uh, allowing natural regeneration where you've still got uh, remaining trees uh, in the uplands, so creating what some people would call clough woodland. 
and we've, we've sat here sort of 10 years on and you can look down in this valley bottom and you can see some of those trees. I mean, some of them are, <laughs> are barely clinging on. You know, they were, they were say, planted 10 years ago. They were probably about 18 inches tall now. They might only be two or three foot tall um, on some areas. In others, that you've got some really um, good growth uh, on some species, uh, and they might they might be 20, even 30 foot tall in that in that time. So you've got a real mix. Um, but this isn't about creating um, a commercial woodland. We're trying to create something that's a lot more natural. Let's say we're in a site of special scientific interest so these are broadleaf species native species um, and it would be natural to, to have a, um, a range of states shall we say you know trees that are growing really well on some of the, the richer soils the more sheltered areas um, other ones that are, are clinging on <laughs> for grim death on some of those those areas that you know these tiny little trees that might be decades even hundreds of years old but are actually tiny and just just about managed to to, to scrape by what we were trying to do here was um, uh, trying to address biodiversity issues in the triple si and outside the triple si um, so trying to trying to bring back things that were missing or damaged and also, from a water company perspective, trying to improve our raw product, the stuff that goes into the treatment works in a big way. The other benefits that, that, that come out of that, we weren't even thinking about at the time. So we talk about flood management, keeping water on the, on the ground. So I've just mentioned about grip blocking, bare peat restoration, drip edge reprofiling, sphagnum, all things that are aimed at trying to retain water on the on the land as much as possible for 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 the benefit of the, the habitats and species raw water quality but but also in terms of carbon carbon sequestration peatlands are massive stores of carbon and that's primarily through the, through the water logging process the cool climate and the the partial decomposition of that vegetation over millennia to, to create areas of peat which could be two three sometimes even four meters deep in places yeah, so all sorts of um, sort of knock-on benefits that, as I say, at the time when we were first envisaged this project, which wasn't wasn't really even yeah, it wasn't wasn't anywhere near uh, anywhere near us in terms of of, of our thinking and uh, the possible benefits, but they're they're all there. The common thread through through most of what I'd done is 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 with regard to land management whether it's agricultural, conservation, um, and now in, the, in my current role with UU, which kind of combines a lot of those aspects, but also obviously looking more specifically at improving the, the water environment and raw water quality. Oh, I keep banging on about this, but all those things just so neatly join up together and bringing benefits um, across a, a, a range of things. You know, carbon sequestration, we mentioned that, flooding, biodiversity, drinking water quality and I suppose the, the wider water quality in the, uh, the wider catchment as well, ultimately. Land management, the environment, the countryside, it's always, always been key threads that have, I suppose, running through my career and my, my interests. We work in a political environment um, 
uh, and probably none more so uh, and where, where we where we sit in time at the minute you know in terms of their environment plans the peat peat strategy uh, environmental bill etc and all the things that that might bring yeah huge a lot of positives in those proposed ideas and you know they're not it's not it's not in stone we're still sitting here wondering quite what's going to happen how it's going to happen and, and how it's going to be delivered but i think on balance i'm quite positive about it so all, all these things we discussed you know we're we're a landowner you know, some people think that gives you carte blanche to do what you like but i mean there's a whole whole raft of things that mean that really you have to work in tandem in partnership with a whole range of uh, people individuals organizations etc who may share your objectives might be subtly different or might almost in some cases be the polar opposite i guess fortunately the latter is, is is probably fairly rare but by and large those those kind of partnerships are, are really good and, uh, and thriving they take an awful lot of lot of effort to to keep up with. I'm not saying I'm perfect, and but yeah, I, th I think it's there's a lot of positives. There's, there's a lot of people out there who, who are very interested in this kind of thing from all all different stretches. Well, you know, whether it's uh, agricultural, the farming side of it, conservation groups, charities, uh, community groups, ex you know, go, you know, goes on and on and on in terms of you know, very, got various interests in it. Who was I? Who was I? I had an email um, earlier today um, from a British Mountaineering Council group looking to, to do undertake sort of uh, some upland restoration works in, in partnership, uh, basically volunteering, which is absolutely brilliant, brilliant to hear. We started Scamp in 2005, and I kind of alluded to the fact that it ended in. 2010. I mean, the reality is, is that it's an ongoing process, um, and recognising that. So yeah, we we might maybe Scamp provided a focus and quite an intensive focus to, to deliver something over five years. But there's, there's been substantial work that's that's happened since then, and we'll continue to do so. We as a company, as a water company, along with all the other water companies, enter a new asset management plan phase which begins in April 2020. So every five years we, we get have to agree our plans with, with our regulators, including Ofwat off and Natural England Environment Agency and others. And they gave, give us various tasks to do. And some of those tasks that we've discussed today in terms of biodiversity, water quality, etc., etc., will, will still be there in, in this coming five years from 2020 to 25. So yeah, there'll be there'll be more of the same, um, which will be a good thing. Our Talking Rivers series of audio productions has been brought to you by Ribble Rivers Trust as part of the Ribble Life Together project. It celebrates the rich cultural, social, and natural heritage of the Ribble catchment. Creating the series has been made possible by national lottery players through the Heritage Fund. For more episodes and information, visit ribblelifetogether.org.